Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to the first episode of the Train Intrepid podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about who we are and what we do, what we believe in, and how much we love Rocky Four. Then we're going to delve into our first topic, which is the base of our pyramid for the foundations of athleticism, looking at range of motion and stability. All right, guys, welcome in. First episode of the Training Treppy podcast. Looking at foundations of athleticism part one, which is movement quality broken down into range of motion and stability. And also that dreaded word, dun, 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 warm ups. So, this is my attempt at giving you some fitness knowledge, talking at an imaginary audience for hopefully at least 30 minutes. If you're lucky, maybe be able to keep it up, keep it going until we're at the 45 minute mark. I've never done this before, so we'll just see how it goes. Uh, and hopefully you guys stay along for the ride. Now, before we go into the meat of today's session, I just want to introduce the intrepid athlete, essentially my brand, who I am. Um, and also just talk a little bit about myself because, you know, I love a good ego trip. Uh, and also introduce the other half of the Intrepid Athlete, which is Jane. So Intrepid Athlete then, obviously the word Intrepid means fearless. So it's it's kind of the mantra of, of the, the, uh, the business is being fearless in the pursuit of your performance. Now, obviously, lots of people have their own specialisms, whether that be high-level powerlifting, bodybuilding, CrossFit, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but on the whole, in my experience, a lot of people just want to be fit, strong, and kind of just do whatever takes their fancy at any time. You know, lots of people come up with goals based on what they've seen top-level athletes do or kind of, you know, social media influencers like Ross Edgley, um, sort of, you know, goals based on around what they've seen these people achieve um, who also help us understand that, you know, as an average person, we can achieve those as well. And that is also my belief. You know, if you're a powerlifter, you should still be able to go and run a marathon to a decent standard. If you're an endurance athlete, triathlete, you should still be able to have a reasonable level of strength. And also, all the while, staying injury-free um, through, you know, basic training, prehab methods, mobility work, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of what we at Intrepid Athlete prescribe to all the athletes that we're working with at the moment. Essentially, you should be fearless in the pursuit of the next big challenge. Yeah, there's nothing that you can't do if you have the right training in place. And also, kind of arguably more importantly, the right mindset, which again is something that we really talk about a lot to our athletes, is the right mindset towards training, towards nutrition, towards life, towards stress, etc. So that's us in a nutshell. Um, in terms of who we are, Obviously, there's myself. For those who've not met you, met you, met me, uh, I'll just give a quick sort of background um, on my fitness experience. So I've been running since I was seven or eight, um, inspired by my dad. He got me into running fun runs and 5Ks when I was a kid um, and also inspired me to join the military when I was 19. So obviously, trained hard to get into the, uh, into the army, working uh, in bomb disposal. Um, during that time, I obviously got used to 
dealing with walking long distances at speed with up to 25, 30 kilos on my back. I achieved a mile and a half time of just under 7 minutes and 45 seconds. I could do nearly 80 press-ups in 2 minutes, 100 sit-ups in 2 minutes, 21 unbroken pull-ups. I also represented my unit in cross-country and Olympic distance triathlon. I also won the uh, British Army Germany Championships in the 3000 meter steeplechase. So even in that time, I had got a whole host of endurance experience. But whilst I was doing all that training, I also was in the gym four times a week lifting weights, pretty lean, pretty strong, uh, and again, stayed injury free. Fast forward a little bit further, I moved to Dubai. Uh, I became a fitness coach uh, working in a CrossFit gym. Uh, so I started to incorporate even more lifting and more strength work while still working on my endurance uh, goals as well. I entered my first marathon, the Dubai Marathon, getting a time of three hours and 18, pretty much at the same time achieving 150 kilo back squat, which was double, bo double body weight at the time. And also building up things like my Olympic lifting, so I managed to get a 96 kilo snatch, 100 kilo clean, um, all the while still you know, maintaining pretty good 10k times, half marathon times, marathon times, and again, injury free. Fast forward to sort of more modern times now, uh, I've completed Marathon de Sable, where I was 164th out of 1400 runners. I did the Spine Challenger this year, which was a 108 mile race across the Pennine Way. Again, coming in the top 10 male athletes, um, as well as, again, maintaining high levels of strength uh, and continuing to do training methodologies such as CrossFit as well. The key there is, I wanted to get across, is that I've got a lot of fitness experience in different disciplines, all while concurrently training for each one and all the while staying injury-free. So I'm evidence that it is possible, and I'm certainly not some professional athlete. I am just the average Joe. Um, and I've also passed on those sort of training ideas onto clients and, again, helped them achieve similar feats. Now, the other half to the intrepid athlete is Jane. Uh, again, she's got some pretty notable achievements herself, even though she didn't really get into especially the sort of hardcore endurance stuff until she was in her early 30s. But since then, she swam the channel. She's swam uh, Windermere. She's also done a triple Ironman, so an Ironman a day for three days, and also multiple other Ironman triathlons where she then managed to become the RAF Ladies Long Distance Triathlon Champion. She was with me on the Spine Challenger, so again, achieved that 108-mile ultra race. We've done multiple ultras together, including the 36-mile in Guernsey a few months back. Um, and, and yeah, she's equally intrepid in her pursuit of her performance. She's also becoming a qualified mountain leader and kayak instructor. So again, we can utilize a bit more outdoor training uh, to complement people's fitness and sort of, you know, recovery and, and de-stressing. So that all sort of adheres with what we're aiming to achieve with the Intrepid Athlete. So now you know a little about us, let's delve into today's topic. As I said, Foundations of Athleticism Part 1 which is movement quality. So this series, as the name suggests, is what I believe to be key in training, performance, longevity, health, pretty much anything to do with fitness. 
Um, and it's kind of like a pyramid, as the name suggests, with the base of that pyramid being what we're going to talk about today, which is movement quality. And then looking forward to further episodes where we'll talk about strength, endurance, and then sports-specific training. So movement quality, what is it? Well, again, pretty straightforward. Movement quality means moving, but moving well, moving with purpose and moving in the correct way, i.e. the body using the right muscles, the right joints in the right sequence to allow us to move as efficiently as possible. More efficient movement means better performance, but also then minimizes the chances of us injuring ourselves and getting hurt. Now, what we can break that down to is looking at individual movement patterns. So whenever we carry out an exercise or a movement, the brain builds a blueprint for this movement referred to as a movement pattern. Within this blueprint, the brain learns how to coordinate all the body systems, such as the muscles to activate and when, how much force to generate. If we're doing something like a squat or even running, we still need to generate force into the ground. And it also allows us to regulate the use of energy stores and replenishing that energy as well. All this forms that blueprint of that particular movement as said whether it's a squat a run etc etc it takes time for the brain to learn this movement pattern and learn it well and obviously perform it as efficiently as possible and that's where practice and training comes in the more we do that movement correctly the more the brain learns the more efficient it becomes over time however the caveat is to that all movement patterns require certain ranges of motion, whether that's getting low enough in a squat, whether that's having enough movement in the ankles to be able to run in the correct position, i.e. vertical posture, um, and also allow us to get into those positions. We need to have range of motion at our joints as well as our sort of flexibility of our muscles, whatever you want to call it. Um, and if we lack that range of motion, our body will compensate. It's very good at taking the path of least resistance. So if we're lacking range of motion in the hips, for example, and we want to get lower in the squat, we'll bend further forward and then use things like our lower back to compensate to allow us to hit that lower position in the squat. Initially, no big deal. You probably get away with it. But over time, you'll obviously then start building that compensation, which will then build that movement pattern in a faulty position uh, and ingrain it into the brain, which can be very hard to undo. And obviously, the longer we use these other muscles and other joints that aren't designed for that particular movement pattern, the more chances we uh, increase our risk of injury. So if we want good movement quality, we need to have good range of motion. How do we know if we've got good range of motion? Again, so many people out there have never, ever been assessed in terms of how they move. And it's so simple. Obviously, yes, there's certain qualifications that are involved in that. So, for example, myself, I've done the functional movement screen, most recently the fundamental capacity screen, as well as learning from other coaches such as Dan Pope in terms of how we can assess range of motion in different movements, different areas. Um, so that allows me then to make sure that every client I work with gets some form of assessment to start with. However, most of the assessments, you can still get a good idea of where you're at, even without experience in sort of carrying out the assessments with other people. So there's key areas that we want to look at for range of motion. Obviously, the upper body, looking at more specifically the thoracic spine and the shoulder blades, ability to move correctly on the rib cage. So we can assess that using something like 
the wall angel test. Yeah, very simple test just to see if we've got adequate range of motion in our shoulder girdle and I said our upper back area. I'll put all these tests in the show notes as well so you can see videos for yourselves and maybe have a go at carrying them out in a mirror or getting someone else to film you and you're more than welcome to send them in to me and I can have a look for you. Um, and obviously then there'll be certain points that we need to hit within that range of motion. Then we can look at the next kind of key problem area, which is the hips. So obviously potentially limiting our squats, potentially limiting our ability to run in an upright posture, or even allow us to get a little bit of a bigger kick in the swing phase of our run. Um, and we can use something as simple as a Thomas test to assess our hip range of motion. Next, we want to look at ankle dorsiflexion, as I mentioned, quite a key thing for most lower body exercises, uh, including running. Um, and we can do the simple ankle dorsiflexion test. So we can carry these out. Again, if you can get someone else to film it or watch you do it, even better. Uh, and then we can compare that against the kind of normative data, what we've seen of if you hit this range of motion, chances are you're going to minimize the risk of injury, but also it means you're going to be able to get into the right positions in particular movements and do them correctly, which therefore means you're going to do them efficiently. Now, if you pass these with flying colors, that's great. Obviously, we can move on to the next stage. However, if you're lacking range of motion somewhere, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you need to stop exercising. All it means is that you need to take a look at what exercises you can do and what exercises that at this point in time you maybe shouldn't be doing. Because as we said, you'll develop poor movement patterns and then it'll be very hard to undo those once you get adequate range of motion. So for example, if you really struggle with your hips and we can see that affects your squat, then at this time maybe we leave the squat to one side for now and we look at lunges, step-ups, split squats, things like that, which are just as effective at building quad strength, glute strength, etc., hip stability, um, but without the risk of you performing a poor movement pattern. Equally, if we struggled with overhead range of motion, especially when pressing a barbell overhead, which can then lead compensating in the lower back, we could then maybe look at things like a dumbbell press or a landmine press. So again, we're still building strength in the shoulders, the triceps, the chest, but without challenging our range of motion and developing those compensations. At the end of the day, exercise-wise, yes, squats, deadlifts, pressing stuff are some of the best exercises we can utilize. However, if they're not appropriate this time, there are exercises out there that are just as good at that point in time for getting you stronger and fitter. So we can utilize those alternatives whilst then incorporating specific mobility work, flexibility work um, to improve our ranges of motion and making sure that we test regularly. Again, this is another thing that we don't seem to be doing is we do some assessments at the start and then we never retest. Every six to eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks, depending on how your programs are carried out, you want to be reassessing so that you can identify, all right, I've been doing six weeks of mobility work and I've seen my wall angel test improve. Therefore, I know I'm on the right track or I've been doing six weeks of mobility work and I've not seen any improvement. That means then obviously what you're doing at this point in time isn't working. So we need to look at alternatives, whether that's, okay, actually it's not a flexibility or, or a mobility problem. Maybe it's to do with something else in the body that's limiting our shoulder range of motion. If we're not reassessing, then we're not getting these sort of pictures, as it were, of how our body's working and therefore we can't improve and we'll just be spinning the wheels over and over again. A key one that you see with a lot of endurance athletes that I work with is stretching. Now, I'm a big advocate of static stretching, 
especially post-workout as a cool down. However, if you've been stretching and stretching for years and years and years to try and get better at, for example, touching your toes, and you're still no better now than you were two years ago, is stretching working? Obviously not. You've not seen any improvement. It doesn't take two years to see some improvement in range of motion or flexibility. Yeah? If we're doing the right things, it should almost be instantaneous. It's just then what we need to do is continue to do that for a period of time to allow it to stick. So reassessment is a massive key when it comes to range of motion and obviously movement quality. From there, now we want to look at owning that range of motion. So we've got good range of motion, which will allow us to maximize the chance of good movement quality. However, if we don't own that range of motion, then we may still struggle with quality movement. And that is also referred to as stability. So now we want the right strength at those joints, at those muscles, to allow us to carry out movement effectively. So elements such as the core. Obviously, if the core doesn't stabilize, minimize movement at the spine, it can then obviously change movement patterns as well, such as the squat. It might restrict our squat depth, not because we're now lacking range of motion in the hips or the hamstrings, just because because we haven't got core stability, the brain is now inhibiting range of motion on purpose because it sees going lower in that squat is a risk of injury. So then obviously we need to teach the brain that it is a safe movement by improving our stability. So again, we need to assess our current stability, assess our ability to own those ranges of motion. So we can look at things like a basic squat. Yeah, it's a telltale for a lot of lower body issues. So we can look at how the knees track, we can look at how the ankles move, we can look at our depth, we can look at our torso position, and then obviously we can break it down from there based on what we see. We can go even deeper and use elements such as the functional movement screen, the inline lunge, the hurdle step, the rotary stability assessment. Yeah, there's lots of stability assessments that we can utilize to again give us a picture of where we're at. If we did really well on range of motion, but not as great on stability, then obviously that's where we need to look at improving ourselves. And again, that still has huge implications on our movement quality. If we're dominating both range of motion assessments and stability assessments, then that essentially is the green light for you to go and utilize any movement that you want to in your training. However, we still need to ensure that we then carry out the correct te technique of that exercise. Yeah, so practice, practice well, to allow us to make sure we build correct and efficient movement patterns. So once we've done our stability assessments and we've got an idea of where we're at there, we can then now look at incorporating training to improve those results. Yeah. One of the easiest ways to do that is utilizing warm-ups. Yeah. Now, warm-ups is still even now is a dirty word. For some reason, so many people avoid warm-ups like plague, and runners especially are one of the worst. Now Aside from all the benefits of warming up, whether that's just preparing your body for work, whether it's preparing the muscles and joints, or preparing the nervous system, it's a great opportunity for us to get some movement quality practice in. Yeah, whether that's practicing the movements we're about to use in our training, or whether it's allowing us to incorporate mobility work to improve range of motion, or stability work to increase activation of certain areas before we then go into the main session. Warm-ups don't need to take forever, 5, 10, 15 minutes, but targeted specific work means it's going to be efficient and it's going to be beneficial to the training session ahead, which means that you're not going to be able to use the same warm-up for every single training session. 
what you do to warm up for a, an endurance run or a cycle or a swim is going to look very different to what you do to warm up for a squat session or a lower body training session or an upper body training session. So you should have a bank of different warm-ups depending on where you're at with your range of motion assessments, where you're at with your stability assessments, and obviously what you have in the session ahead. Simple stuff. Yeah, and again, I'll put some ideas of, of warm-up movements uh, into the show notes, and I'll also be chucking out a couple of videos of what I think are kind of the top five mobility exercises for upper body, top five for lower body, etc. But warm-ups is a huge key in ensuring that we continue that movement quality. Where do we go from there? Well, once we've utilized the information from the assessments, we started incorporating them into warm-ups, we're retesting, we obviously then readjust based on those results, or we change things around if maybe the, the current the training that we're doing isn't working. And then we can note changes in performance as well as potential for injury. Now, going from there, movement quality is something that should be practiced forevermore. If you feel form breaking down, technique breaking down, then that means either we need to decrease the intensity of that exercise, whether that's decreasing the weight on a lift, whether it's decreasing the speed on our endurance run, or we need to go back to the drawing board and break down that technique even more and look at what to miss. Yeah, especially more technique heavy exercises such as Olympic lifting, uh, even things like swimming. Obviously, again, it's much more beneficial to potentially have someone watch you do those movements and identify where form's breaking down. It could be that it is just too much too fast so that, again, we need to look at intensity and drop it down and build up more slowly. But it also could be that as we're getting higher in that intensity, something else isn't doing its job. So maybe something lacks the endurance that to last and to work correctly as we go longer into those efforts. So again, that's something that we need to assess periodically as we're carrying out our main sessions and our main training. So all that in a nutshell is movement quality. If we're following those basic steps and really ensuring that we've got the best movement patterns, the best movement quality, performance is gonna be increased. So in running, for example, if we have the right range of motion, it means we can keep the correct posture, we can keep the correct um, uh, cadence when we're running, which then means we're going to have much better run economy, so we're going to be more efficient, which means it takes less effort to run the same distance, so we're going to be faster, using less energy, but also we're going to use the right muscles, the right joints, and therefore massively minimise the risk of injuring ourselves. As I said, you know, 33 years of training so far to various high intensities, various disciplines. And as soon as anything rears its head in terms of a niggle, not that I've had many, I then go straight into the protocols I've just spoke about, reassessing areas, looking at what's potentially amiss and obviously adjusting and incorporating certain elements into my training to make sure that it never turns out to be a full-blown injury. Now, if you have any further questions on that, feel free to drop me a line. Um, and obviously, like I said, I'll put loads more information in the show notes. But essentially, there is your first base to the pyramid that is foundations of athleticism. I'll be back in a short minute to continue. All right, guys, welcome back. Just had to have a quick break there, 
check out a bit of the Rocky Four training montage for a bit of inspiration, um, just to help us go into the next element of movement quality, um, which is balance. So balance of strength, balance of uh, movement in various patterns, planes of motion, which I'll expand on in a second. But just having that balance uh, within all our structures and our muscles and our joints just again minimizes the chances of us developing compensations, whether that's having you know stronger quads than hamstrings, which means again, if the hamstrings are weaker, quads are going to do more work than they should, which potentially could overload the knee joints and, and lead to little niggles down the line. So we want to ensure we have balance in our training. Um, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to break movement patterns down into categories. So our aim is to incorporate these movement uh, categories in the majority of our training, with the first category being the squat. So front squats, back squats, goblet squats, anything that's kind of what's known as knee dominant can be classed as a squat movement pattern. So we're now focusing on working the quadriceps and the glutes uh, are the sort of main muscles utilized. Moving on from there, we want to then incorporate the lunge pattern. So single leg exercise now to help, again, make sure we're building balance of strength between left and right, as well as complementing our squat pattern in different ways. So it just challenges hip flexibility a little bit more. We're now working, like I said, single leg strength and also single leg balance, which is great for patterns such as running. From there, we then want to look at a hinge pattern. So deadlifts is obviously the classic hinge pattern, but we can break that down and regress it to Romanian deadlifts with a bar or even a kettlebell or a dumbbell. We can do elements such as cable pull-throughs, again, just to really practice the hinge, but using load as well to develop strength in our hamstrings, glutes, and lower back muscles, so kind of all the, the uh, posterior chain as it's known. Um, again, complementing the single leg stuff from lunge patterns and from the squat. From there, we're moving up the body. We obviously want to incorporate core training. So uh, core exercises that hit the front, uh, the sides and the back. So things like your rectus abdominis muscles, your internal external obliques, and obviously your lower back muscles, which are known as the erector spinae. So elements such as your ab wheel rollouts, your power-off presses, back extensions or good mornings are great ways to challenge the core uh, in those respects. And then finally, looking at breaking the upper body training into push patterns and pull patterns. So pushing patterns, we're now looking at developing the shoulders, the chest, the triceps. We can break that down into horizontal pressing and vertical pressing. So for horizontal, we're looking at things like your press-ups, your bench press. From the vertical perspective, now we're looking at your dumbbell presses, your barbell presses. Again, it's good to incorporate bars and dumbbells so that we're getting more full body elements with the barbells and allow us to use a little bit more weight, but also using dumbbells, kettlebells to get that single arm element to again, help make sure we build balance between left and right. Same goes for your pull pattern, horizontal and vertical. So horizontal, we can look at barbell rows, one arm rows, ring rows, etc., And then our vertical pulling pattern, we can look at that pull down and obviously the classic pull-ups and chin-ups. That's all working our biceps and our back muscles, such as the lats and the traps. So straight away there, just from 
those basic movement patterns, you can see how we're getting symmetry along all the major muscle groups. And again, incorporating single arm, single leg stuff just allows us to get equal strength between sides. And that all leads to that balance that I speak of. On top of that, though, it's really beneficial to incorporate some kind of more primal movement patterns and types of training. Um, so things like carries, throwing, jumping, elements that, again, you see in Rocky IV when he goes back to old school forms of training to beat the Russian monster that's using all this technology, etc., um, to be able to win, as it were. Um, Rocky incorporates the basics but does them well, does them to the full ability he can, and obviously that allows him to, to dominate. I truly believe as well those basic patterns are just really good at helping build that balance I've spoke of, set you up nicely for your sports-specific training, and also just incorporate a bit of variety and a bit of fun into your training. So carry patterns, literally carrying heavy weights by your sides, overhead, bear-hugging sandbags or stones, and just walking with the weight. It helps build reflexive stability in the core, grip strength, lower back strength, all that can also lead to uh, rotator cuff health uh, and a whole host of other benefits by just carrying weight Yeah, over short distances for more sort of strength and over long distances for more sort of endurance, so especially if you're lacking endurance in lower back muscles when it comes to running, walking with weight for longer distances, kind of 50, 100 meters, even 200 meters, are just really good at helping build a bit more endurance in the lower back muscles to cope with the demands of running, especially over technical terrain. Add to that jumping. So again, whether that's horizontal jumping, whether that's vertical jumping through depth jumps, box jumps, seated box jumps, are just again fun movement patterns that we can utilize and develop strength in specific areas that we can't get from other exercises. Um, on top of that, throwing, again, just a little bit of fun, but also help build reflexive stability in the core, stability in the upper body, especially if we're using med balls, which is what I like to do throwing them against walls, slamming them into the ground, just again, a little bit of fun, but also very valuable in kind of rounding out that training and keeping that balance. So the aim there is to incorporate one exercise from each of those movement patterns into a session, yeah? And it's really easy even just to have it all in one training session for the day. If you think you go into the gym, you hit a squat for your squat movement pattern, you then go into a lunge, which is like an assistance exercise then to your squat pattern. And you go into something like a Romanian deadlift for your hinge pattern. So you're not massively overtaxing yourself by doing a deadlift as well. Then from there, you could do dips and pull-ups for your push and your pull. And then finish off with some farmer's carries for your carry and your core. Straight away there, you've incorporated most of the movement patterns over five exercises into your session. And that'll take you about 45 minutes to an hour to do. Over the week, two, three, four sessions in the gym, you'll easily get exposure to all those movement patterns in various different forms to help round out that strength and that balance. On top of that, whilst we want to obviously incorporate all those movement patterns, we also want to look at incorporating exercises that operate in different planes of motion. So simply put, planes of motion are ways in which exercises operate in relation to how your body is positioned or how you move your body in relation to certain positions. I've not really explained that very well. So sagittal plane is the kind of most commonly used plane of motion. 
what happens there is if you imagine my body now, if I was to split it in half with a piece of glass running forward to backwards, so therefore my body is now split between left and right, all my movements that run perpendicular to that piece of glass are what's known as sagittal plane exercises. So for example, if I was to flex and extend my arms and my legs, which is things like a squat, uh, running, they all operate in the sagittal plane. And with that obviously requires certain stabilization muscles and certain joints. However, we're then potentially not challenging other stabilizing muscles and other joints in different ways, which we may experience during our chosen sport, especially things like running and swimming, where we're experiencing forces from other areas rather than just that sagittal plane. So we wanna to adapt and to become strong in those planes of motion. So the next plane of motion is the transverse plane of motion. So now we're splitting the body with a piece of glass between top and bottom. So anything that I do perpendicular to that piece of glass is known as a transverse exercise. And the classic one for that is anything that involves rotation. So moving or rotating from left to right. You chop and lifts. Uh, I like to use landmine core rotations. Um, you know, even things like Russian twists, etc., are all clusters, uh, transverse exercises. Then the final plane of motion is the frontal plane of motion. So now, again, we're splitting the body with that pane of glass, but between front and back. So now anything we do perpendicular to that is classed as a frontal exercise. So moving our arms out to the sides, moving our legs out to the sides, which is known as adduction or abduction. So things like lateral lunges, dumbbell lateral raises, these sorts of exercises are classed as frontal exercises. And again, just help build that balance and symmetry. So not only do we want to make sure we're incorporating all those basic movement patterns into our training, we also want to make sure that exercises meet those three planes of motion on a regular basis as well through our training week. So again, it's as simple as, for example, a lateral raise would still be classed as almost a push exercise because it works the shoulders uh, and the triceps. So therefore, that could be our push movement pattern for that session. But we're also then hitting that frontal plane of motion. Again, I'll put some ideas in the show notes for those, but that kind of rounds out movement quality. So not only have we assessed ourselves, we've made sure that we've got the capacity to move well. We're then looking at making sure we reinforce that in our warm-ups and our technique of training. But then similarly, we're just helping out, making sure that we've got good balance in all our structures and our systems by utilizing all basic movement patterns across those three planes of motion and that is the train intrepid podcast episode one foundations of athleticism part one movement quality hope you find some of that inf information useful really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to this we've passed the 30 minute mark which is epic um any questions drop me a line to uh, intrepidathlete at gmail.com. More than happy to answer any questions. Check out the show notes for some extra resources. If you like what you see, sales bit coming in now, head over to theintrepidathlete.com where we have training programs for you to buy. Uh, so we've recently just released the hybrid training system, which incorporates uh, high levels of strength training with high levels of endurance for people who want to run their first marathon or if they've run a marathon before looking at running their first 50k um, 
We also do seminars and workshops. So if you're a member of the running club or triathlon club especially, we can then visit that club and talk about strategies for injury prevention, introduce things like Olympic weightlifting, or just go through a good old mobility sort of bulletproof in your body workshop uh, to incorporate into your training. And finally, we offer online coaching as well. So if you want something that's more catered and specific to your needs, we can obviously go through a full assessment package like we talked about today. Um, and then obviously I can create a program based on those results and obviously the goals that you want to achieve. So head over to intrepidathlete.com, have a browse on there. We've also got the blog, lots of free articles. Uh, we've got the Foundations of Athleticism email series. So if you subscribe to the newsletter, Again, you'll get some of the sort of stuff we're talking about on the podcast as well as a discount code for our Prehab Essentials book so you get it for free. So lots of stuff involved on the website, guys. Um, so, yeah, any questions, please hit me up. Thanks very much for listening. Look forward to the next episode where we'll look at resistance training and strength training, especially for endurance athletes who don't utilize it enough, but just the benefits in general of being strong Peace out.